Hey everybody, it's June 22nd. I'm Joel of the Board Game Mechanics, and the other mechanic right here with me, per the usual, is... Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jason. And we are fresh out of Origins. We're ready to talk Origins. Uh, oh yeah. Dude, that was my first Origins. I had a lot of fun. It was a really good festival. Uh, gaming festival, that's what they call it, right? Yeah, Game Fair, I think, fair, actually. There it is. Whatever. Yeah, it's a very different show from Gen Con. Um, just really different. The people there are, are just a little, it's like, I don't know. It's almost like maybe because there's not quite as much to see, people there aren't in such a rush. I think there's just a little bit slower pace to it. And people, because of that, are a little more kind, maybe, or a little yeah. more willing to, you know, maybe nod at you and give you a smile or something. But right, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's a nice festival. I uh, just really enjoyed the whole thing. It's laid out well, super professional, nice wide aisles. Didn't feel very crowded at all. Uh, the staff there did a good job. I kind of get a get a laugh out of like between every convention hall. There's always a security guy who's asking you to flip your badge around because he wants <laughs> to look at your name and whatever. Which I don't right, know, yeah. whatever. So <laughs> I don't know how often they need to do that, but whatever they do. So no, I really had a good experience. A lot of fun. How many years have you gone to Origins? Uh, that was year. This is the third one, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure three or four. I'm not sure. Have you seen it grow? Like, is there a noticeable difference in growth? Oh yeah, this year there was a whole, a whole additional hall. Usually there's the exhibit hall and then one of the side halls, but this year since it had the exhibit hall and the two like C and A, yeah, usually it's just one of those and not the other. So yeah, it's markedly bigger this time. Yeah. Um. And then the Watsi and Paizo stuff wasn't even in the exhibit halls this year i think that's normal it usually hangs out at the hotel i believe they had a pretty famous uh streamer there also um my brother is a big fan of the game grumps and there's a frequent guest host and she does twitch stuff too that was there with watsy i don't remember her name um but i mean they had some celebrities there i mean i got to see i mean the guys you'd expect from the united states that are board gaming celebrities were all right, there yeah. so uh yeah it was pretty cool I didn't really talk to anybody. Well, I talked to Lance, the undead Viking at the TMG booth. That was fun. Yeah. He's just such a down-to-earth guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. He was like, I'm not going to try to sell you this game. I'm not a used car salesman. If you want to buy it, buy it. If not, cool. <laughs> right. And then like, when you funny. talk to him, like he's just it's almost like he's weirded out by the fact that anybody's a fan of his. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Right, yeah. He just seems yeah. like such an average, everyday dude. Yeah, he's awesome. The Dice Tower guys, they were there and they were polite enough, but you know that they just, I don't know, they talk to 3,000 people a day and they just get tired of it. Yeah, yeah. You can only glad hand so much, I think, and it just, you have to stop. Well, and I feel like Z is a little bit shy. Tom's super outgoing. I think Sam's pretty outgoing too, but Z's a little shy almost, so it's almost like, I don't know. It looks. It just seems like he's just more than more content to have his earbuds in and be like walking and not right. the Ruth chicken hands, which I can appreciate. But they all were really polite and nice enough. Um, who else was there? Uh, Rodney Smith was like nonstop doing live coverage for BGG, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. I'm trying to think designer wise who was there. Eric M. Lang was there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. No, there were a lot of designers there too. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. I know Frank DiLorenzo was there. I'll talk to him about talk about him later. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Frank DiLorenzo was definitely there. Uh, yeah, so it was a good time for sure. I saw the guys from Moonrat Media there at one point too. So uh, just a lot of good good people there. And 
I left impressed with that event. I definitely think it's a well-run event, and I will be returning for sure. And it's in a much better time of the summer than Gen Con is for me, personally. Uh, I like Gen Con a lot, too. Jason, I hope you go to Gen Con at least for a day so you can get a feel for just how different the two shows are. Right. Yeah, I, I want to, but I don't know if the crowds are going to be a little overwhelming. So, But I'll try. I'll say this. On Thursday morning... You know, like the old footage of the the stock market where guys are like running with slips of paper and trading stocks and stuff. That's, yeah. that's what it's like Thursday morning for the first 10 minutes, honestly. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. It's insane. You got to buy the new hotness. Oh, yeah, for sure. You got to get that copy of Mysterium four weeks before it's on clearance on cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. We have such bad FOMO in this hobby, and I, I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I rage bought Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea. And I'm happy I bought it. I got a good deal on it too. They were doing a good kind of like big lot there. But I really didn't know hardly anything about this game when I bought it. I was like, I like the Tiny Epic uh, Kingdoms game. I don't know. We'll see about this one too. And I've, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. I got it out since and it's a pretty a cool game, honestly. But yeah, I mean, just, I don't know. So much stuff that we buy that, I don't know, just based on the fact that it's supposed to be what we buy to stay in the club. I don't know. You're not very guilty of that, Jason. I admire that in you for sure, but I definitely am that way sometimes. I got Merlin. That was the only one. Well, I wanted that and Coimbra, but there was like 40 copies of Coimbra or something. So yeah, yeah, I'll just wait. (laughs) Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that's pretty cool though that they had a few copies there. I I didn't know they had any there, honestly. And then... um, they had copies of Dinosaur Island Retail Edition there as well, which I know that's been nearly impossible to find for quite a while. Um, so that was kind of cool to see. Uh, they obviously had the mine there in the same booth, and that was, I don't know. I didn't see any hype about that at all. <laughs> I mean, honestly. So <laughs> No, I just walked by the booth and saw people staring at each other silently. That was fun. I Well, and there was no like looking for <laughs> players, the mind, you know? I mean, right, going on yeah. at all. So, yeah, that's true. I saw more people playing Kanban than the mind. How about that? That feels Did good. Did you really? Yeah. I saw oh, about four or five tables playing Kanban at different times. And that's I, awesome. just, I just made note of it because I was like, wow, that's interesting that Vidal's games are getting played so heavy. And it was, yeah. it, I was that and I saw one Lisboa and I didn't go into the open gaming area because they charge you two bucks an hour to be in there or whatever, but whoa, I, something like that. It's like, a, it's like you have to pay a token to go in there um, or something. I, I don't know. Anyway, I was like, man, I'm not. I can play games for free with people that I know anywhere. So, and there's all this stuff here going on that I can go do. So I guess maybe that's, we're spoiled that we have local gaming groups. So if people don't have local groups to play with, that's heaven for them. You know, Hey, there's people I can find a game with, but I did make a few walks past there to see what people were playing just for my own curiosity. And definitely Kanban was a pseudo popular game. Yeah. My, uh, my buddy Chris, he was going to the boardroom. Maybe that's what you're talking about, like the area yeah, where yeah, people yeah. just sit and play games. Yeah, he he stepped over the line a little bit just to see what somebody was playing, and they yelled at him for not having an admission ticket. <laughs> yeah, same here. They were like, excuse me, do you have a ticket? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. it is. Um, pro tip for people going to Origins, I learned this out. I figured this out at the end of the first day. Learn this out. That's a new saying. If you want to say learn this out, you can. It's pretty cool. Uh, Hashtag learn this out. <laughs> I figured out the. Uh, I figured out the at the end of the first day that you can go and vote for the Origins Awards, and then as like a sign of them being appreciative of you voting, they actually give you a generic token. So I got a free generic. 
Uh, and then I bought a couple more so I could do an event. I went to the Paizo thing and did a Starfinder role-playing scenario. And so I'm going to give you another pro tip here if you go to Origins. They say, hey, yeah, three and a half hours if you're going to do this thing uh, in Origins. And that's, I mean, that's kind of a big commitment of time anyway to do three and a half hours. Well, and as we were approaching hour six, we just finished the game. So, I mean, like it was, it went so long. I mean, it was kind of frustrating, but it was a good time overall to get a chance to do some role playing in the Pathfinder Society, actually Starfinder Society. But I feel like I gave up a bunch of my time to do that. So that was fun. I think we'll talk more about what we played here in a little bit, but is there anything you're not going to talk about that you got to play that you think is cool? Let me think. I did was going to talk about something, but I forget now. So it must not have been that important. So no, we can move on. Did you get to play Eastern Wonders? I never actually sat down to play Eastern Wonders. I did not. It was always a huge line, so I just waited. My my buddy Chris bought it, so I'll just have him come over and we can play it. Yeah, that's and that line that was on the little like live sleep sleep deprived episode. If you didn't listen to that one, um, I'll just repeat kind of what I said, but then I'll clarify it for those who did did listen to that. There was like so there in the expo hall. There's like blocks of like booze, so there's aisles going both directions, and like it's probably. Uh, three by three square makes a, a blue, like a block of booths. Well, I think plan B had almost a full nine booth square anyway, but their, their line for Eastern wonders went all the way around that whole block. And then some, it was crazy how long the line was, but I think if you would have gotten in line and waited, you would have gotten a copy until probably pretty late day on Thursday. It seems like, so they had a lot of copies, but they sold a lot more yet. So and I don't know how long it'll be before you can find that on Cool Stuff or whatever, but it was definitely the hypedness for sure at that con. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Like we walked in, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to wait for that. <laughs> so I just left. <laughs> and then Clever Queen Games, they, uh, I think they, they didn't, I mean, you would have bought Merlin regardless, I think, but they like always had their pile of Merlin like running low. Like they always had maybe four yeah. copies in it and then you'd walk by and it'd be two copies and then you walk by an hour later and it'd be like 12 copies. So like, I think they had a bunch of Merlins there, but they kind of made it a manufactured shorthand, like shortness uh, of the game. So I don't know. I, have you gotten to play Merlin yet or have you looked at it? I have not. The only game I've played from origin so far is um, the networks. I played that last night. Oh, and that's, that's awesome too. I've had that one on my radar for a while. That's a little bit like uh party gameish Ameritrash-ish for you, isn't it? Sort of. I mean, it's mostly just taking a card set collection kind of. That's essentially all it is. Yeah. But I, I like it a lot. Yeah. It seems cool. The theme is really cool that you're trying to make a group of TV shows that work together. Yep. Uh, I played Ancestry. Uh, I got to play that one, which I know has been out for a while. And it's not bad. It's a nice little tile placement game. It's got some really weird family trees that you can build with it for sure, but it's a pretty fun little game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also tried a kid in a shuffle, a little kid's game with look like little hedgehog things. Yeah, I saw the picture of that. <laughs> we only sat down because it looked really cute. So, And actually, we almost lost to this like little six-year-old. <laughs> it was awesome. You're just moving these little guys around the arrows on the board to try to deliver these bugs that are on your back to your color of tree stump. And you're trying to do it before everybody else does it. So it's just a kid's pick up and deliver game. But it's actually a thinky little game for a kid's game. I was impressed by it, actually. Yeah, I, I'm a little... There wasn't a ton of trying to 
hype a release at this con. I think people want to have a presence there, and I think it's a good way for them to be good ambassadors to the board gaming community. And it's just a fun event. Like people are just there to have fun. Whereas I think at Gen Con, people are there to see what's new and what's hot. And so I didn't see a ton of promotion of stuff. I didn't see you know huge, forty foot tall you know cutouts or something of of anything. But I don't know. It was just it was. Dragonfire was all over the place. I know that for sure. Um, and Century Eastern Wonders was definitely all over the place. But other than that, I'm not sure there was anything that was like overwhelmingly being promoted, honestly. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, there were a couple games that were going to be releasing later in the year, like a game I'm going to talk about in our games played. And uh, I think there was an escape plan demo, which I didn't get a chance to play, which is I'm kind of kicking myself. But yeah, there wasn't really a bunch of stuff getting pumped for Gen Con or whatever. Everyone's response to Escape Plan has been really positive, though, um, that got to play it. But, you know, you could play it on Tabletopia with Vidal himself, so sign up for that. All right, so I only have a few pieces of news here. Um, one I'm pretty excited about, and it is the expansion to Trakirian. It is called Dollguards Academy, and it's now on Kickstarter for like 10 more days. So I may be backing that because it adds some extra magicians. It adds an extra sideboard. I think it's called the protege. And then it adds like a training ground where you can go and practice your tricks before you perform them in the theater. So I'm pretty pumped about that because I love Trakirian and that's going to make the game even better. And it'll let me play it solo. I'm pretty pumped about that. I have decided that Trakirian is going to be a game I really love. However... I am going to hold off for one year buying it because my prediction is another expansion will come out yet. And my rule is if there's ever more than two expansions for a game, there will be a big box eventually. So I <laughs> might just wait for the big box. Yeah, that's probably true. Well, you're, you're bought in at this point. It makes all the sense in the world for you to get expansions and stuff. Yeah, that's true. Because I have the first expansion and the base game. So now I'm just filling the void with the rest of the stuff. And I mean, there's not many board games that look cooler than that game. I mean, it's just as far as how cool they look on the table. The art on that and everything is really cool. That's true. Speaking of big bucks, um, Amerigo and Merlin are back on Kickstarter from Queen. So I don't really know why they're back on Kickstarter because it looks to me like they had a ton from what I saw at Origins, but... They're on Kickstarter with all the expansions or the queenies, as they call them in Queenland. Um, so, yeah, that's exciting if you like Amerigo and don't have either one of them. Yeah, I mean, like, it's crazy to me that Amerigo was being sold on clearance for like 20 bucks over the winter. And now it's getting hype again almost or something. It's crazy. And and Merlin, there were definitely plenty of those there. But this is where Queen Games just does this. They use this for every print run they do. Uh, them and Eagle Griffin, it seems like. I mean, and they're fairly big companies, but I guess right. they do this more for probably them to be able to do factory direct orders at MSRP. But then also, um, I think it gives them a chance to get a better idea of the demand maybe for each printing. So I get that. And it's, I'm not going to be critical of it, but it's just unique for sure. Right. Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, to each their own, I guess. I just think it's interesting that Merlin's been on Kickstarter like three times in like a year. Right. For sure. <laughs> and, and Amerigo, because that game's what, like three, four years old? Right. It's just cra- crazy that they keep re-releasing it. Right. And I mean, it's not done. I would be surprised if we don't see Merlin on Kickstarter again. But that said, I mean, we'll see, you know, Dinosaur Island on there again, probably. And that game's amazing. So... Yeah, that's true. And Marlon yeah, might be amazing for all I know either, but 
Yeah, I'll have to hear it from you, actually. Yeah, I hope to play it this weekend, and we'll find out. Um, the next thing and the last piece of news I have is it's just like some jewelry. I fi- we never talk about jewelry, and I figured I'd expand our horizons <laughs> a little bit. But it is hand-carved and engraved 20-sided dice gemstone earrings. Um, Katie bought a pair from the guy at Origins. They're cool. She bought some last year. So this guy said he was doing some new earrings, put them on Kickstarter, and I told him I'd mention it. So, Tom, I'm mentioning it. I don't know if that'll help you, but so be it. They're pretty nice looking, so go check that out if you're interested. I have this bit of news that I want to talk about for just a second. Uh, our president has declared that there will be a space force. So like the Air Force in space. So why does this matter? <laughs> I don't think it matters a ton for my security or for the nation's security. It probably will eventually, but it mostly makes for an amazing theme for a board game. So <laughs> right. have at it, designers. Space Force. It's, it's real life Twilight Imperium 4th edition. <laughs> it is, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. That is pretty awesome. I wonder if having a Space Force <laughs> is what like the Galactic Senate has been waiting for us to achieve before they invite <laughs> us to join. Probably, yeah. Isn't that what it was in Star Trek? Once we could travel the speed of light, they were like, okay, well, welcome to the universe. Like, And they <laughs> introduced themselves to us or something like that, I think. Yeah, so. that sounds right. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't, I'm not up on the lore of Star Trek. Anyway, but. good board games to be coming out. <laughs> Space Force Boys 1, Space Force Factory 2. <laughs> you know it's going to happen. Like, we're joking now, but you know it's going to happen. No, yeah, there'll definitely be Space Force games. Space Force Munchkin and Space Force Flex will be the first two. <laughs> You're right, because they put their stuff on it, every single thing. Well, I mean, how hard is it to change the clip out, clip art out on a couple of cards, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, that's funny. Space Force Opley, I mean, that'll obviously be there. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh man. What, now, what games so would awesome. be awesome with a Space Force retheme? I mean, obviously, all the like guys in space, space shuttle, X-wing type fighting games would be great. But what, like, right? Yeah. Okay, so here's my here's my role for this little quick game that I'm putting you on the spot for. The game has to have a setting of previous to 1900, and it has to have no combat mechanics. So, what game could you retheme as Space Force? Agricola. There you go. You're building like a space station to try and survive <laughs> in space. You have to feed your your um, astronauts <laughs> every turn, or they die. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm it's thinking, awesome. I'm thinking like you know, there's combat in that, but like classic cultures and games like that, like civ building games would probably work pretty well. Yeah, nations or something like that. No, I don't know. It's there's something out there. If we can figure out the answer to that for real, we would probably like immediately end the show and start our Kickstarter. But the <laughs> fact that we don't have a good answer for that. That's our, that's, there you go. That's our password this week. Find a good game that would do well with the Space Force theme and then secretly message it to us without any kind of proof of, of <laughs> concept or proof that you have any claim to it. There you go. And then never look at Kickstarter ever. <laughs> You're such a good fan. You'll get two high fives if you do that. <laughs> yeah. That's all I've got, Jason. Jason, what did you get a chance to play? Oh, yeah. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was Museum. Um, this is a game that was on Kickstarter not too long ago, actually. Um, it has like 400 different pieces of art from Vincent Dutre. And it's a set collection game. And that's essentially it. But the way it does it is pretty neat. So we played through a whole game of that. And it was amazing. And I can't wait for it to be released at Gen Con. 
I think is what the guy said. Yeah, I've been hyped about this one for a while, and you always were like, yeah, okay. I mean, I don't think you weren't not hyped about it, but I think you got on the hype train, too, for this one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it just didn't seem that interesting from everything I watched. Like, it just seemed kind of boring. But when I played it, it, there's a lot more to it than it looks like. And, yeah, I liked it a lot. I think it looks cool, and I think the theme is great. And then I looked at the pre- the pedigree of the publishing team and design team and art team, and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Because these guys just... I mean, Vincent Dutre doesn't sign up for games that are bad anymore. I mean, he's he's renowned in the board game world. So I think that for him to do art for a game, it's got to be pretty rock solid, you know? And just, I don't know, it just, everything like lined up for this one for me to think this is going to be really great. And I think it's not going to disappoint. Um, I'm glad you got a chance to play it. Yeah, you, you will like it. I'm probably like 95% confident that you will dig it. So what, so you are, it's a set collection game where you're trying to get exhibits to try and kind of match up kind of thing. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, there's uh, four different areas that you can take cards from, like the Pacific Islands, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East, I believe. If it, That might be wrong. I know Middle East and Asia are correct, but or Europe are correct. But you're taking cards out of there, and you're trying to get them in your gallery. But to do that, you have to discard cards from your hand to like a common pool that other people can buy from in the value of the card you want to put on the on display. So you're trying to weigh how good is this card against how good is the card you're going to put in your gallery, what's going to score you most points. So yeah, it's kind of thinky on how to pay for cards and stuff. So that's the main me- the main paying mechanism. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds neat. I I think it's one that I will probably own if I had to guess. Uh I just think it looks really cool. I had a chance to play Jason. Okay, so Vasco da Gama isn't the game I played, but that's another example. And I feel like one thing that I don't know, I'm going to be I'm going to be just honest here with all you guys as fans of board games. I feel like we get on the Facebook groups, I feel like we get on uh you know Reddit, we get on Board Game Geek forums. We even, you know, are listening to our podcasts and listen, watching our YouTube videos of reviews. And we as a group, we can get groupthink at times. I absolutely think that I'm guilty of it as well where I either am a contrarian because everybody feels this way, so I've got to feel the opposite way. Or I'm like, yeah, everybody loves that game, so it must be great. So I'm going to love it too. I think we're super guilty of that. And so Vasco da Gamma is one that Tom Vassell like totally panned hard. Like he just said that game is terrible. I hate it. He threw off the roof of his house. He did a follow-up video where he made a fake apology about how mean he was about that game. But that game, people love that game. And I know you're one of them that loves that game. Um, I do love it. It's amazing. And so, I mean, this game that I'm going to talk about is another one that Vassal was like, this game's not any good. And honest to goodness, I think he had a self-fulfilling prophecy because in his video review of it with Jason Levine, he said, this game's going to be on clearance inside of a year. And so I got a copy of this game on clearance and I can't help but think part of it is because of the bad, I mean, there weren't many reviews of this game and one was really bad and it was seen by, I think, you know, 500,000 people or something. I mean, I don't remember what the exact view count was on the Dice Tower video, but it was in the hundreds of thousands. So at any rate, um, the game I'm talking about is Tin Goose. And this game is so good. It's amazing. Like, I absolutely love this game. And I'm going to say Tom Vassell, like one of the comments on Tin Goose, on the video about Tin Goose from Tom Vassell, somebody really eloquently said this, but I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version of it. It said that they're afraid Tom isn't able to review games the way he needs to because he only can play a game once before he really reviews it many times or 
very limited plays because he has so many things he has to play. And I get that. He's going to be really broad, but not super deep in his reviews. And that's fine. Like most people are okay with that. And I also agree with Tom that a lot of times after you play a game one time, you can get a really good feel of if it's going to be a good game or not. So I don't even fault him on that. But this one I do fault him on because he hated the auction mechanic in this game. And because of that, he was like, this game is just shut it down. It's no good. Well, the auction mechanic, it takes a while to figure out how to manipulate it and do well with it. And once you do then, it's just such a clever mechanic. It's so cool. So anyway, let's get to what the mechanic is here. In 10 Goose, you get you get a you get a, a hand of 10 cards for the whole game. There's three airs of cards, and the cards are one of two things. They're either some kind of catastrophe that's going to hit everybody and you're going to have to pay a big penalty, and everybody's going to have to pay it and there's probably a slight catch-up mechanism in it. So the person who's way ahead in this category will have to take a slight you know, bigger penalty than the guy who's in last place. So it kind of keeps the field close. That's the one type of cards you can get. So there's like an oil shortage. So everyone has to pay more for their oil for that round. Or there's a crash. So everyone's really nervous about flying on airplanes. I should probably even back up beyond that. This game's about building an airline in the 1930s. So like you're taking these early pioneering aircraft that weren't very reliable and trying to figure out ways to get people to fly and make a profit. So these, these events happen that are nasty and hurt the airlines, and it's all realistic. It's all true to the times. Like These kinds of things would happen. The airlines would be going gangbusters, and then there'd be a big wreck or a big crash. People would die, and people would be terrified to fly for a while, and so they wouldn't make money for a while. And then they would slowly build their business back up, improve things, get more efficient, and then another crash would happen, and the person who had the most safety rating or had the more safe planes could really promote that, and they would do well, but then people who didn't would suffer again. So... This is all stuff that is true to the air for airlines. Um, and then also you can buy fleets of airplanes too. So the, you're playing down one of these cards and then following that you do some actions where you build some routes and you you know increase your income and re- like improve your relationships with the labor and stuff. And the bidding mechanism in this game, finally, five minutes later, I'll talk about the bidding mechanism, is basically everyone gets one bid on this card. So I lay down a card, Jason, and let's say we're playing it's me, you, Katie, uh, Kim, and uh, and Matthew playing this game. And so everybody's going to get one bid on it. So I put down a, like, um, I don't know, a Lockheed Martin Electra or something. I don't know. One of these old, cool 1930s planes. And somebody immediately goes, Lockheed, Ele- Lockheed Martin Electra is not a 1930s plane probably or something. But anyway, I put down like one of these old planes like that. And... Um, and then everyone gets one bid. So let's say you bid 15. Then no one can bid... Less than 15, obviously, because you have the bid, but they only get one chance to bid. And since I played the card down, I get the last bid. So um, because I get the last bid, I, uh, I I can kind of have the chance to pay more than anyone else wanted to and really get that card if I want it badly. So that's why with your bids, you have to figure out, okay, what's something that's worth me having the bid on this and getting this card versus what's something that's like... Ah, uh, man, I don't want to pay too much for this thing, you know? So it's kind of a cool situation. And then you're trying to get like fleets of planes that match because you get more efficient as you have fleets of planes. But it's as cool of an economic uh, like engine building game as I've ever played with kind of a unique, like it's a Medici type auction mechanic where you only get one bid going around the table. So a pretty cool game called Tin Goose. That is cool. Yeah, I like auction games. So I might have to check that one out for sure. And it was on closeout. I got it for like 16 bucks. Right, and I normally like games that Tom doesn't, so that makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. Contrarian, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. I There's a lot of games I don't like that Tom does love and vice versa, I guess. So this is one of yeah, the games that I really like. And I mean, it's just Jason Levine loves it. And like, so I will say this. 
if Jason Levine or Levine or however you want to say it loves a game, I probably love it too. Cause that dude's right, got amazing yeah. tasting games. <laughs> and he's played like every game. <laughs> yeah, he has. And he's good at every game. And he has this a soft spot in his heart for heavy euros. So <laughs> Yeah, he does. Tin Goose. There was my ten minute infomercial about it. Go check it out. It's a really fun game. Um speaking of other fun games, but this game actually has like an educational twist to it. I played Cytosis. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, it's I don't know if you know anything about this, but it's a, imagine Lords of Waterdeep, but instead of being set in Waterdeep, it's set inside a human cell. Right. And you're and you're trying to like when you go to a spot, you have to put the cubes that you're going to use to complete a mission like three steps a uh, contract at a time on this little disc and when you go to another area, you have to move this disc to an area that it's allowed to go to, like say like a cell blood flowing through your cell or whatever. And then you have to add cubes to it. So as you're traveling down this path, you're going to be adding cubes to this like cell, like protein deal to get it to the completion. So you complete the contract. So it takes like four different movements and they all have to be linked together following these little arrows. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun game. Uh, it's essentially work replacement, nothing groundbreaking except the way that the cell energy protein stuff travels around the board. It was really fun. Except the other thing too is this game is completely based in science. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. After you figure this out, you know much better how cytosis works. And I taught biology for a couple of years and I'm going to tell you right now, the most difficult part of biology for me to teach was cytosis and meiosis. And so... I think if I were still teaching biology, I would play this game with my kids. Oh, they yeah. Would get a pretty good understanding of what cytosis is all about. So very cool game. And it, the fact that it actually plays well in spite of being an educational game is like unheard of. Oh, yeah. And there's like the funny thing is there was an area on the board called alcohol detoxification where if you had a contract card, all it did, you just had to spend energy and you got one point. It did nothing else. It didn't take any other cubes. It just spent energy to detox yourself from alcohol, and you got a point. <laughs> and huh. I just think that's interesting that actually things that happen in your cells were actually happening in this game. And I, yeah, I had a great time, and I did kind of learn a little bit. So I feel smarter from going to a board game convention. So that's nice. No, very cool for sure. Very cool. I I think I hope that there are more and more games that come out like this. Like. There's even cool word games now that come out, but I would love it if somebody figured out a way how to make a worker placement game where you placed your subjects, predicates, direct objects, gerunds, all kinds of stuff like that into a sentence somehow, you know? I mean, yeah, like, that would be cool. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> just stuff like that that would just help language arts be more interesting to kids. Like, I'm huge into gamification. So one year at Gen Con, their little pre-show educators thing was mostly about gamification. And... It's something you obviously see in school, but it's also something that we're starting to see in our, um, you know, not necessarily how we do our taxes, but how we're doing medial tasks. So um, there's just all kinds of ways that people are trying to get you to follow a budget or to um, fill out applications by making it, hey, if you fill out this application, you get this many points as bonuses, you know, or whatever that People just love games. They love solving problems. So making stuff into a game just makes a lot of sense. And so people are figuring that out. Cytosis, gamifying one of these dry subjects in biology. I love it. Absolutely <laughs> right. love it. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. On a completely opposite note, Jason, a really smart, awesome game to a really dumb game that has to do with dumb, dumb, <laughs> dumb people making dumb decisions with their life. Um, I played a game about gambling on horses, <laughs> which is 
so fun. Um, I talked about Frank DiLorenzo. There's going to be a little interview with him later in this. He's from R&R Games. But this is one of R&R's, I think, earlier games. It's called Home Straight. Home Stretch. Home Stretch or Home Straight. I always get the two mixed up. I think it's Home Stretch. Yeah, um, that sounds right. But but uh, my brother makes fun of me. He's like, this is your favorite game now, and you can't even get the name right. <laughs> I played other horse games, and this one's just as good or better than any of the other ones I played. So, like Long Shot's the most popular one, probably, or right. Winter Circle. Yeah, but this one deserves a, a, you know, this one deserves a seat at the table. And actually, I think this one it might be a redo of an older game. Now that I've read more about it, but it's, I think they streamlined it and did enough to it to make it really its own game. So, what happens is you place these horses on a track, and they're on they're on spots two through twelve. Well, if you think about 2 through 12 for a second, that's all the possible outcomes on 2D6, that you could get a 2 all the way to a 12. However, rolling a 2 or a 12 is not nearly as likely as getting a 7. So this is our educational show, our special educational show, where we're learning about probability now. <laughs> so, I mean, I think rolling a 7, your odds of getting that are like something like 1 in 6 or 1 in 8, something like that. Whereas getting a 1 in tw- or getting a 12 or a 2, the odds of that, that are 1 in 36. Um, so... Because of that, the odds when you place bets on two and 12 pay out much higher than like six and seven. So that's pretty cool. But then also every race you have, there's a card that flips up and it says, here's what is predicted in this race to happen. Or here's like a handicapping thing that's going to happen. So lanes six, seven, and eight, for example, in one race could have a red X, which means the first time you roll a six, seven, or an eight, it just isn't, it doesn't count. It's nullified. You just leave the horse in the starting gate. Whereas 12, 11, 3, 2, 4, something like that could get as much as a plus six bonus. And there's only 10 spots around the track. So when you roll the number of the horse, you move them up one or two spots, depending on what you want to do with your turn. But if you get that plus six, plus you move them up two, like you roll a two and that horse is four fifths of the way in and you just have to roll one more two and the game's over. Like that, that horse is one and he's a long shot. He's got like crazy difficult odds. So you have the part where you gamble secretly by putting these little chips on this little like grid upside down, but then also you buy ownership into these horses too. So you own certain horses for the long term. And then you have a short-term bet on that particular race. And you just do four horse races and the game's over. But honest to goodness, that game, you will yell at the dice. You will yell at your horse. You will want to curse. You will want to yell with happiness and glee. It is the <laughs> closest thing I've ever played to a home version of like off-track betting. So I don't know if you've ever gone to one of those off-track betting places, but I've definitely gone in there and been like, all right, I've got 20 bucks. I could go to the movies or I could go like watch horse races for three or four hours and make stupid bets and lose all my money probably. Right. Um, I always go with my brother who's got stupid luck. He's so just a lucky person. <laughs> I, I walk in with 20 bucks, leave with zero dollars. He leaves with 200. <laughs> so, I mean, like, that's just how it is. But so, like, it has as much of that feeling as any other game I've ever played. And it's just, it, you get, your heart starts racing. You're like, come on, come on, seven. I bet the house on you. Let's go. And uh, just, it's so fun. It's such a fun game. And it's pure luck driven. Like, you might as well play, like, war or something i mean it's just as luck driven as that so right yeah i mean it's all about just how the dice roll and just so fun though it's just a stupid awesome fun game wholeheartedly suggest this game i think it's pretty cheap to find different places if you can find a cheap copy go grab it man it's so fun and so i think my passion for this game was contagious because i bought it the first day and i know of at least a couple other people who bought it the second day because i was like <laughs> yeah. raving about it like a lunatic so it's really fun though 
Yeah, I think Kim got a copy, so I'll play hers sometime. To oh, see, you're to gonna love it. it. You're. I would. I would give you mixed mixed endorsement on playing Kim's copy because once you play that bad boy, you're not going to want to drive the 45 minutes to go play another <laughs> game of it. So you'll have to go out and find your own copy, probably. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> It sounds like one of the best games I've I've never played yet. So, uh, yeah, I mean, not just that, one of the best games in all of God's creation up to this time, <laughs> probably. So, yeah, <laughs> who needs Gloomhaven when you have Homestretch? <laughs> I would rather play Homestretch than Gloomhaven right now. I'm I'm not even remotely kidding. Um, I love that game. And here's the other thing too. I don't know if you figured this out or not about my picks and games, but I 10 goose is the same thing. I like games that are underdogs. I like finding games that people have disregarded or just been like, eh, and just finding a gem there. And I mean, there's several games that I feel that way about. I mean, uh, Cinque Terra, this game, 10 goose. Now, I mean, airlines Europe is one that isn't near as popular as it should be. I just absolutely love some games that people just don't give hype and play. Um, those falling through the crack games are like my sweet little babies that I have a special place for in my heart. So just absolutely love those games. Yeah, that's true. I kind of like those too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, I don't, is there anything else you played? I mean, I know you got a chance to play a ton of stuff. Uh, hey, shout out to the guys who made it to the game store on Wednesday night too. That was fun. That's I got true. to play council of four with those guys. That game's really rock solid. Super fun. Yeah. And thanks to Rhett, the owner of the store for letting us hang out there for a few hours and play some games. Yeah, and I'm hoping that um, next year uh, we can triple the size of our of our turnout. So I think we had, if we count spouses and stuff, we had uh, maybe like eight people, ten people there, yeah, something like that. That sounds right. So if we can triple that and get thirty people there next year, that'd be amazing. Yeah, so agreed. Pretty great little store too. Beyond the board, there I think is the name of it, right in Dublin. Yep, yep, that is pretty correct. great little store. We're getting no promotional consideration out of that at all. I just think it's a good little store. No, yeah. He has tons of stuff that's kind of between print runs sitting there on the shelf and a lot of things that you know you aren't going to find on Amazon just ready to go. Yep. That's where I got uh, Marco Polo when it was hard to find. So after that, they had a special place in my heart. All right. So on the floor of Origins, when we were there for the few days, um, Joel took care of probably about, I don't know, eight or nine interviews because um, I get scared of people. We'll just leave it at that. Um, I did one interview and it kind of got cut off, but you may hear a little bit of that later. So, yeah, he talked to we talked to Simon, Stronghold, r and um, Flying Buffalo, I believe. And we have a few yes. other special ones that we won't mention that you can just check out when they show up. Rick Loomis. Listen for the Rick. Come for the Rick Loomis. <laughs> stay for the Steve Bonacore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And maybe uh, one very special cool one. There's a little treat in there for those of you who listen all the way through. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So without any more of our talking, let's just get into that. Hey, Joel here again with Board Game Mechanics, and I'm with Sean, who's in marketing at Cool Mini or Not, and uh, they've got some great offerings here. I just played Council of Four last night uh, for the first time, and that's a great little Gateway Plus game, but they've also got some other things going on here. So, Sean, what do you want people to know about that Cool Mini's doing right now? 
Yeah, so yeah, definitely Council 4 is a, a good one. Just hit uh, local gaming stores uh, last month. Uh, Way of the Panda as well, and uh, Dragon Castle, two, two big titles that also hit uh, stores last month. So we're excited about those ones, uh, getting lots of play on the table. And uh, at this show, we're also showing off Gizmos, which is the new one by Phil Walker-Harding. And we're excited about that one. Uh, players uh, take on the role of inventors, and it's the annual science fair. And they're looking to create all these different inventions, which will make all of their actions uh, much more powerful as they go throughout the game. So they're looking for synergies in the inventions that they make. So uh, great table presence and a lot of fun as well. Great. And is that, uh, when's that the release date for that? Or is that a Kickstarter presently? Or where are we at with that? Uh, so no Kickstarter. It's going to go direct to retail. Uh, we're looking at an August release. So hopefully by Gen Con, we'll, uh, players will be able to try it. But if uh, they're here at Origins, uh, they could or could have uh, come by booth uh, A105 to try it out. Yeah, it's an impressive looking game. You're going to want to look for that at Gen Con. Hey, thanks for your time, Sean. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Joel here from the Board Game Mechanics. I'm here with Frank DiLorenzo from r, &R Games. Uh, he's got some exciting things he wants to mention here and talk to us about. Uh, and I'll, uh, without any further ado, let him talk to us about what's going on. Hi there. All right, so uh, our newest releases for Origins are Costa Ruana, which is a family strategy game uh, where you are sending your uh, tribes people to islands to steal the gold that the pirates have left there. So uh, you're sending people back and forth from these islands, trying to have the majority of your people on an island so one of them can run back with some of the treasure. Um, the game has uh, two cards in the center that flip from time to time, and those colors that flip are the only cards that are active during a round. So we're giving away a promo here at Origins of two poker chips with the same colors printed on them so that you can flip the poker chips much easier than those cards. Um, but that's a new game, very light strategy, a lot of fun for two to six people. Um, we also have Cave Paintings, which is our newest party game. Uh, this has been a big hit so far since we've been showing it. Uh, it's uh, literally you're the uh, Neanderthal trying to become the village cave painter. So everyone has to draw on their cave wall with their uh, dry erase pen but you have to hold in your fist because you really are, you know, a caveman. So. And as soon as the timer goes, you have uh, 30 seconds to draw the six words you see in front of you. And you're all doing this at the same time. So we're all drawing. And someone's going to look up and say, time's up. And that point, because he's an annoying time watcher, he's going to get a point just for calling that out. But everyone's going to stop and they're going to start passing their drawings around. And you have these little me guess cards. The me guess cards you have to fill out with the answers of what you think you see on that cave wall. At the end, we're all going to then be presented each artist's cave wall, and we're going to see who got it right and who got it wrong. If the majority gets it right, then the artist is going to do well. But if you guessed right, you're going to do well. So that's you know kind of a nice balance for both the player and the drawer. And uh, basically, whoever uh, is the one who ends up as the best cave banner gets the award of me draw good! <laughs> so... And uh, I love that game because I wrote the entire rules in cave speak. So super simple rules, very easy. Just read. <laughs> That's it. Those are the two newest ones. Then of course we got Rogers and Dragon Island. We also have Artifact Stack uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. All right, take care. Yeah, thanks so much. It sounds like UgTech and Telestrations had a baby there. It's kind of a cool looking game. I'll have to go play that. Thanks so much.
Hey, uh, it's Joel here again. I'm here with Rick Loomis from uh, Flying Buffalo Games. He is he is a living legend amongst board game uh, the board game community with his classic game Nuclear War and then uh, Tunnel and Trolls. So, uh, Rick, what are you guys here at Origins uh, promoting? Well, we're promoting our new Super Germ pin with the uh, Pin Bazaar. Uh, Super Germ, of course, is the character in our Nuclear War card game, the card game that's been around for 52 years. Uh, that's a wild and crazy card game about blowing up the world. Uh, it's uh, not a historical game, thank goodness. Uh, hopefully it never will be. But half the time when you play this crazy game, everybody dies and nobody wins, so I call it an educational game. Uh, we're also promoting some new cards for Nuclear War, and we have the new edition of Tunnels and Trolls, the second-ever role-playing game, uh, which was invented in 1975 right after Dungeons & Dragons. And... Uh, the Solitaire Adventures for Tunnels and Trolls, uh, which my favorite, of course, is Buffalo Castle, the one I wrote. Uh, that's a solitaire adventure. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure where the book leads you through a role-playing adventure. The book is the game master. Thanks, Rick. Really appreciate it. And uh, Nuclear War is, you heard that right, 52 years going strong. It was uh, first printed in 1965. Wow, that's great. Thanks, Rick. Hey, I'm here with John from Hot Chicken. Uh, John, you've had a lot of gamers in here. How are they doing? Are they being polite? Oh, very nice, man. The, the gamers pack this place every year, so we, we can't wait for them. We raise our chicken counts. We have enough for everybody, and uh, it's just been a blast. It's been a blast all day. And so, John, why should people come to Hot Chicken? Well, I'll tell you what. We've been voted number one comfort food in Columbus. It's close to homemade as you're going to get. It's close to homemade as you're going to get. We really care about it. Our owners wanted to uh, put out a product that was like home food, so... Come here, have some fried chicken. Uh, you can't beat it. Hey, thanks, John. And I'll tell you, this place is packed. It must be uh, a bunch of people can't be wrong, right? So thanks, John, again. Hey, Joel here. I'm with uh, Filker Tom, who is a local uh, artist here at, here at uh, Origins Game Festival. And he's got a piece that we're going to listen to here. <laughs> This is actually dedicated to the movie that just came out a few weeks ago and the predecessor movie that came out in 2012. If you go out to the movie show, you'd better not go alone. But do go out to the movie show, no reason to stay at home. For every superhero that was, we'll pound on Loki simply because today's the day we're going to see Avengers. The Tesseract or Cosmic Cube, it never will be enough. Cause Steve's naive, but not a rube, and Iron Man's really tough. The Widow's clever, Hawkeye is rash, Thor's live forever. Hulk will just smash, today's the day we're going to see Avengers. Popcorn time for Avengers. The mighty Avengers will assemble for everyone today. Watch them fighting aliens, defending Manhattan in a most destructive way. Bashing giant silverfish, designed by Yeager when he was drunk on Tullamore 2. 
We've never seen such an amazing superhero film before, nor will we again till Avengers 2. So, if you go out to the movie show, be bolder and do not yield. Just armor up and rosin your bow, me owner and mighty shield. And just before you're ready to go, have Natasha stomp on Bruce Banner's toe. Then run like Hector the Multiplex, we'll laugh, we'll scream, they got us the dream, all thanks to Joss, the movie is boss, they're buff, they're ripped, they got a good script, Maria Hill, her jumpsuit she'll fill, and Samuel L. and Coulson, oh well. <laughs> it's greater than mere mortals can ken, and look, there's Thanos right at the end, and when it's done, for Shrama we'll run, and talk for hours how it was such fun, today's the day we're going to see Avengers. Oh, Filker Tom. Rhymes with milk, Filk, FilkerTom.com. <laughs> Check him out. Thank Tom. you, Tom. Oh, you're very welcome. Take care. Hey, Joel here again. I'm with Jay from White Wizard Games, and they are well-known for Star Realms, certainly, and Hero Realms, but the maybe lesser-known but maybe more impressive game is Epic, uh, and here with me to talk about that is Jay, who's uh, kind of their guru of digital products. But anyway, he's got a, a little something to talk to us about Epic here. Hey, guys. So uh, my name is Jay, and I indeed work for White Wizard Games. I'm the digital product manager, um, and I've been working on a digital app for Epic. Um, Epic is our... Th- uh, I guess it's our second game that we created. It's a strategy card game. So unlike Hero Realms and Star Realms, it's a game more like Magic or Hearthstone, that type of game. Um, It's, however, non-collectible. So unlike those other games that I mentioned before, you don't have to keep pouring money into the game. You can just buy the base game, which costs $15, and get all the cards in the base set. It's a game where uh, the resource... Uh, system is very simple. There's no lands or mana or energy or anything like that. All the cards in the game cost one or zero gold, and each turn each player gets one gold to play with. This makes the game go from zero to 60 really fast. Um, Dragons, angels, all those things come out on the very first turn, and uh, you cast those, like you you summon those champions to fight for you. Your opponent is trying to do the same thing because they do have a gold on your turn as well. So there's immediate battles going on from the very first turn of the game. Um, And there's spells that you can use to to change the tide of battle. They're called events in the game. Uh, Events might, you know, be a fireball, might be, you know, some divine judgment from the gods coming down and wiping all the champions off the board. Uh, That kind of stuff is all included in the base game, uh, which has 120 cards and some double-sided tokens included in that box all for that $15. And then we have released over time some expansions. If you get bored with the with the first 120 cards, we have another, uh, at this point, 150 or so extra cards that came out in expansions. Once again, those are non-collectible. So if you want a specific card, like Draka the Dragon Tyrant, you buy the Draka pack, you get that card. Uh, it makes it really easy to just expand on your collection, have more cards in the game. Um, And you can play Epic in many ways. You can play draft. You can draft with two players. You don't need a full eight-person table, you know, friends. You can just, you and your buddy, whip out the deck of cards. Uh, Draft takes, like, you know, ten minutes, and then you just get to playing. You can actually shuffle up all the cards and just go to play like that. Shuffle them all up, give each player 30 cards and play. Uh, Because there are no lands or anything like mana system, uh, you just get the one gold each turn which means all the cards can just be played you know, with that gold. 
so it doesn't really matter what colors you are in. Uh, there is synergy between certain cards, so sticking to a color is often better when you're drafting or building a constructed deck. Uh, there's also full constructed, where you can have up to three copies of a card in your deck. Um, so that would involve buying duplicates. Every time you buy a copy of a pack, you get one of each card, so buying three of those copies would give you a full constructed set. Um, still, that, you know, keeps the game very affordable even full constructed you can have a complete set of all the cards in the game for about $200 uh, so significantly cheaper than some of the collectible card games and thanks Jay uh, it looks like a really nice package of, of product here and I know you can't mention other products probably professionally but it certainly would cost a fraction of a collectible card game to play I appreciate your time thank you so much It's Joel again here. I'm with Andy from Cubicle 7, uh, and they are working with the One Ring role-playing system, uh, and he's got some more information for us about that. Hi. Well, we're looking first at the One Ring role-playing game. It was our original one, and this has been really popular for us, and we had a load of people look at this and go, we love this game. This looks amazing, but my guys only play D&D, so we thought, well, let's make D&D version for them. So what we've done with this one is we have the first book in the Lines of Players, Player's Guide, which is not just a redo of the player's handbook. It's a completely new set of rules for any D&D game, and it's up to you to take as much or as little of that into your D&D campaign. So if you guys want to play paladins and rangers and wizards, you can do that. It's in the player's handbook already. It's all gold. But if you want to add some of it, we've got five new character classes in the player's guide, but also rules for corruption, rules for journey time, rules for downtime, all stuff that you can take into, if you want to do journeys in Forgotten Realms or corruption in Ravenloft, you can use all of that in other D&D games. Now, where we move away from that, we then take into our Lawmaster's Guide. That then adds in the really Tolkien detail. We have the Tale of the Years in there, which gives you all the detail of the setting between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which is where we set both of these games in the timeline. And that means you can take your game, not in the fourth age where it's all over, you can start seeing the gearing up of the shadow, the movement of the necromancer, orcs are on the move. It's not all over, it's only just starting in this game. Um, there also gives you your monster manuals in the Lawmaster's Guide, uh, so you've got a load of detail. Um, we've got Wilderland Adventures is seven linked adventures that take you through that sort of that whole area. GM Screen has a, an adventure with the Eaves of Mirkwood. The Mirkwood campaign is a really interesting one, which is a really quite different from what you might expect from a campaign. Where we have the tale of the years, we then expand it into a huge volume. So where the Lawmaster Guide gives you a paragraph about something, the Mirkwood campaign gives you a whole four pages on it. And using this, you can take your adventures, which we are usually very specific about the timeline and the years on these. So you can take your adventures and slide them into the, the mega campaign, and it gives you some extra encounters and bits and pieces you can fiddle and add into that uh, and bring a whole, you know, the whole Tolkien breadth and a big campaign into your adventures. We play as much, again, as much or as little as you want for the game is what we've given you with this one. And then we have maps, we have region guides, we have, and this has come out at an amazing speed. When I last saw us on the stand, we had the player's guide, the lawmaster's guide, and we had a pre-version of Wilderland Adventures. And I looked at this again, you know, only about six months later, and suddenly we've got all these extra books to come out because we're not, 
I must say, we're not just grabbing the One Ring stuff and just copy and pasting it in. It is getting a full treatment and a full look through because what we're designing is to take the One Ring stuff and put it in a such a way that it makes sense in D&D, not just converting and putting some extra rules in things. We want to give the D&D players the same time and attention that we've given the One Ring players um, because you know, to take the game where they want to take it. And the art on these books is... Excellent. Uh, I would say it's at least as good as Wizards art. Can you tell me a little about your artists? Uh, well, our main artist is John Hodgson. Uh, he's been working with us for a long time. Uh, he's done, and frankly, amazing art direction on these books. Uh, we've got what I love about, particularly in the One Ring line and all the others, is you would think it's one artist. He's he's seamlessly put together um, a series of guys. John has done, I think, most if not all of the covers on here, so a lot of what you're looking at is his work, but he's got, I can't remember the name specifically of our artist, I'm not involved in the art direction myself, but he's assembled, an, as you can see, you just look through the books, an amazing team uh, that really evokes the feel of Tolkien, all that sort of, you know, the feel of journeys, the battles, you know, an epic setting that just brings out the detail. I mean, I must admit for this, my, my horror is that I've never actually read the books, and previous editions of, uh, of games I've seen with, with Cypher and things. They were great games and some amazing material. But I was always left a bit confused about what was Tolkien about them and, and why this was different from D&D. As soon as we started playing One Ring with my group, I suddenly went, now I get it. Now I see what you mean. Now I get why these elves are like this, why these dwarves have that sort of extra feel. Um, and the layer, in the case of One Ring, a whole layer of enchantment. We don't have specifically in One Ring wizards because Gandalf isn't so much a wizard as, an, as a demigod and you don't let players play demigods if you want your campaign to survive. So the One Ring doesn't have that, although with D&D, if you want to use magic users, that's all in the player's handbook. You just bring that into your campaign and we have notes on how to do that in our player's guide. But what we do have is that while there's no magic using specific classes, enchantment is everywhere it seeps into everything the dwarves have got rune lore the elves have got their form of magic every even hobbits have got their own form of magic in the sense that they can hide and which is an almost supernatural ability to do so so you will find enchantment is everywhere in this game it's in the rocks it's in the trees and that sort of feel of magic is very prevalent in the game and it brings a really nice tolkien feel to how it all fits together yeah it's a wonderful looking system and i think for people who have played D&D and are looking for something to change it up a little bit, but maybe feel a little familiar, it's a great choice. Uh, beautiful looking books. Thanks for your time, Andy. I appreciate it. Hey, Joel here again. I'm with uh, Jim from Ares Games, and this is a company that you may not know that you know. They've made some really great games, including War of the Ring and uh, Sword and Sorcery. They're here at Origins, and, and Jim, what are you guys really uh, promoting here at Origins? So we've got a couple of new expansions for Sword and Sorcery, including the new ex true honest expansion that extends the campaign called Arcane Portal. So Arcane Portal takes the adventure to the next level where the characters end the Immortal Souls base game campaign. Then they get to continue the campaign with the Arcane Portal and get higher levels, fight worse enemies, get bigger loot. We've also got a couple of the hero packs so that if you, you've got a character and you're like, I always wanted to be a bard or I've always wanted to be a barbarian and the other creatures didn't really speak to me in terms of being a character, we've now got a bunch of new characters for people to play. So with that, we're kind of rounding out the sword and sorcery line. We're also introducing Hannibal, which Hannibal is a, a game that 
most people who have been in the industry for a while have at least heard of it or know of it. It's This is the 20th anniversary edition. It's a game that's been on Board Game Geek's uh, top 10 list pretty much since Board Game Geek has existed. It's been around forever, but it's been out of print for a long, long time. So Aries partnered with a company called Phalanx, which is a Polish company that does business out of the UK. And so we work to bring it back to them. We've got a couple of mini expansions we're launching at the same time. So now we have this really great classic two-player confrontation, slug it out with really high production values. People give a chance to play for that again. Great. Thanks, Jim. I uh, appreciate your time. And everybody who's a fan of Sword and Sorcery and you thought, hey, I want a little more, good news. They've got some more for you. Hey, I'm here with uh, Steve Bonacore from Stronghold Games. And Steve, I know I'm excited about the next edition of uh, Kanban coming here this summer. But what can you tell me that you're excited about? What does con season look like for you guys? Con season is absolutely insane. It is every year. I'm in the middle of a, of a seven-week marathon of trips. Five trips in seven weeks. Crazy. Kanban, one of the greatest heavy Euros of all time. Yeah, I'm excited about bringing that back in a new edition. But coming sooner than that, a couple of releases that we're going to have uh, coming up next month, in the next couple of months, and they'll be at Gen Con, Paper Tales. It's a big card drafting release for us, where you're building a fantasy civilization, deploying units in front, in front of you that have to do a little bit of warring, but also they have, to, you have to, they have to bring them out there to bring resources to you while you build buildings. Um, and the special thing about this game that I really feel interesting is that those units that you're putting out, they age because it's like an epic game, epoch game. So um, over time, the units have to be redeployed with new units because they have aged and they have to leave your, your tableau in front of you. So that's Paper Tales. Uh, that street date's at the end of July. We're going to have it uh, at Gen Con. And also there's an expansion for that coming out in September. We're going to wait on that one. So we have a little bit of time between the two. And that is Paper Tales Beyond the Gates. And that makes it go to seven players and actually then has a solo, a one-player variant, variant where you go against the Lich King. Very cool. And then another Gen Con release, and this is truly our big release at Gen Con, is Fist of Dragonstones, the Tavern Edition. So Fist of Dragonstones came out uh, by Days of Wonder, way before they had Ticket to Ride, way before they were bought by Asmodee. And we're, we're bringing it back out, uh, Fist of Dragonstones, the Tavern Edition, now we're calling it. It's set in our Dragon and Flagon universe. Uh, we've added three times as many character cards in the game, some new mechanics called the King's Favor, which speeds the game up. Uh, better, more interesting-looking components in the game. It's a bigger game now uh, with more stuff in it. We're having a big launch party there at at Gen Con, so people can come sign up for that. They can come play the game with 140 players in a big room, and some people take the game away. There's always special gifts we give away. There's some cosplay that goes on because of all the fantasy characters that are in there, too. So those are my big releases. And, of course, Terraforming Rise Prelude is also going to be my huge selling game at uh, Gen Con as well, and that's our third expansion for for terraforming Mars. Hey, thanks, Steve. And guys, uh, I know you can't see these. You're just listening right now, but these games look both really beautiful, wonderful graphic design, beautiful box art. You're going to want to make sure to sting, swing by the uh, Stronghold booth at any con you're at this summer because they've got a great demo team and great-looking products here. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun to do those interviews, Jason. Um, I know you get anxious, but... I figured out it's all about confidence. If you have the recorder out, ready to go, 
and say, hey, can I just talk to you for a couple minutes? Most everyone there was really gracious and willing to talk to me, but I definitely felt like such a little fanboy geek getting little <laughs> interviews recorded. Right. The other thing that's fun too is if you're listening to this, you're a part of the resistance, man. I think the audio side of coverage is just non-existent. So when I told people it was just an audio interview, one, they were usually really relieved because they didn't want to be on video camera. <laughs> right, yeah. But then they were like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. So um, pretty cool. Uh, it was a lot of fun to interview those guys. Uh, and then I'm going to give you just the same. The, off off the mic, I got this lesson from Filker Tom. Uh, filk music comes from the word folk. So there's a typo in a newsletter one time talking about this variation of folk music people were playing after after conventions, gaming conventions, you know, D&D and gaming conventions. And they said, you know, this group over here enjoyed their folk music after hours in the convention hall. <laughs> and so someone saw that and they ran with it. They thought, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. We're making filk music. So uh, <laughs> TomSmithOnline.com is how you can check out uh Filker Tom's website and that Avenger song he has, I don't think appears on any albums yet. This might be the only recording of it at this point that exists. So, uh, pretty cool. And he just played that out of nowhere. I mean, no chord sheets, no lyric sheets, just making eye contact with me, making almost eerie eye contact with me the whole time he played that. So, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> well, all that said, I guess I've been Joel and I'm Jason. And I guess we just abruptly will in the episode now. Yep. See ya. I don't know what outtake Jason's going to put in after here, but he's got some, some doozies of material probably. <laughs> yeah, I'll find some. So, Jason, let's do a little practice here. This will be our, our uh, last little bit for this show. Uh, people who made it this far, they can enjoy this. Jason, pretend like you have the, the recorder in your hand, and you're at the at the Board Game Mechanics booth. Okay. And here's the question you're going to ask. You're going to say, hey, it's me, Jason. And I just wanted to ask, did anything interesting happen to you at Origins 2018? So just go ahead and do that. Let's set that up. All right. Hey, guys. Jason, and I'm with Joel. Did anything interesting happen to you this year at Origins 2018? I don't know, Jason. Is getting stabbed with a blunt <laughs> blunt wooden stick by a man wearing a skeleton onesie interesting to you? Because that almost happened to me. That's a true story. And I don't know that I need to totally recap this story, but yeah. it still haunts me a little bit. <laughs> that this dude came up to me on a sidewalk, six foot three, probably 110 pounds, really thin, wearing a skeleton onesie. So the guy kind of looked like a skeleton anyway. Comes up to me with a wooden stick. Looks like he's going to stab me in the neck with it, but then he starts using it as a microphone and basically makes a commentary on how much he dislikes different, how basically he dislikes how our society has taken the pureness of whole fruits and vegetables and concentrated them down into juice. So anyway, if you want more of that story, listen to our last episode that came out in the car. It's worth the road noise to try and hear that, I think. Yeah. But yeah, Jason, that was really interesting what happened to me in 2018 at Origins. Good job interviewing me. <laughs> yeah uh maybe that guy was just a big fan of the board game mechanics and he wanted to act like he was your co-host or something could be or maybe he like when he listens to the board game mechanics which i imagine he does i mean a lot of most people do let's just say it most i mean like you ask 10 people in the street hey do you listen to board game mechanics like seven are gonna say yes um <laughs> yeah <laughs> but maybe he was like having like some kind of like maybe he was like doing the Beatles thing and playing our, our 
podcast backwards. And at some point we were saying, the juice is loose. The juice <laughs> is loose. And so he felt like he had to make some kind of statement about juice. I don't know. So Yeah, that's what I... The, I yeah, whenever I edit it, I put that stuff in there backwards for sure. You should probably quit, man. Some of our fans don't like that. Uh, trigger words. 